in week two of our series called Spiritual Battles. This is great. We all fight spiritual battles. We know that the final victory has been won, yet there are battles that are still yet to be fought. And so day in and day out, we fight. We're going to address over the next few weeks uh, teachings out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Some of his most prolific teachings, he targets specific issues, specific battles that we fight, anger, judging others, loving your enemies, things that I think all of us wrestle with, all of us battle with, all of us deal with, and we're going to see how we can have victory in those things. But we had to start with identity and with authority as our first two weeks. Because if you can master identity and authority, you can have victory in all of your spiritual battles. This is like when I do premarital prep, I always spend a lot of time on communication and conflict resolution. And while I spend extra weeks on that and extra time on that with couples, because I say, if you, can, if you can master or get really good at communication and conflict resolution, you can handle financial management, you can handle parenting, you can handle roles and expectations, you can handle everything else because everything else needs to be talked about. And if you don't talk about it, you're going to fight about it. And when you fight about it, you might as well have some tools to resolve the conflict. So we're going to spend time on communication and conflict resolution. Every battle you fight has the inherent question of are you able to have victory over that battle? Do you have the authority to win? And authority is a question of identity. These two things are intrinsically tied together. The question of identity is a question of authority. So last week, Pastor Tiff talked about identity. She talked about the baptism of Jesus, that before Jesus had done any ministry work, before he had done a miracle, before he had, he, had, he had made a name for himself, before he had really popped up on the scene as this, as this young rabbi, teacher, prophet, something, the father approved and affirmed and identified him as his beloved son. And that is the same truth that we live in, that before we have done anything good enough for God, before we have broken all the patterns of sin, before we have turned our lives around, God approves and calls you his beloved. That's where your identity comes from, in the Father. It's the beautiful truth that God's approval of you has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And um, we can be mistaken if we think that that's where the journey ends for us. I'm approved, I'm beloved, God loves me, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, we're happy. That's the beginning of the journey. It's nowhere near the end of the journey because now you've got a target on your back. If you know anything about basketball, you know one of the defensive strategies is you want to neutralize the best player on the other team. Okay, you want to take out Giannis or Steph or LeBron because if you can take out the best player then all those other guys will have to carry the weight of the whole team. The defense is never worried about the sleepy guy on the end of the bench. The devil is not worried about people who do not care where their identity comes from. He's really, really concerned about those of you who know exactly where your value, worth, and identity come from. Because you're a problem for him. You're a problem for him. So he puts a target on your back. He tries to frustrate the plans of God. He tries to sow doubt into your faith. He tries to sow immorality into your righteousness. He tries to curse the things that God has blessed. But we know the final victory is already won. There are yet just battles to be fought. 
we can take that truth and we can feel like that's unfair. You can go like, well, I don't deserve a target on my back. I don't deserve the enemy coming after me. I don't deserve that. That's not fair, God. Why don't you just, why don't you, you're supposed to take care of my problems. We can sit idly by and we can take a victim mentality that says this is not a fair situation or people of God, please, I hope we can stand up and fight in all power and authority that is given to us by Jesus Christ, the son of God. And that's what we're going to look into tonight is how do we do just that? The matter of authority is a matter of identity and the matter of identity is more specifically a matter of Jesus's identity, not your identity. Don't get this backwards. The question of authority is tied to identity, but it's not your identity that's in question. It's Jesus's identity. Because if Jesus is who he said he is and who he proclaims to be and who he, who he shows himself to be, and we find ourselves in him, then we have all the power and all the authority to have victory in this life and, and to conquer evil in our path. Authority and identity are linked. We've got to start there so that we can have victory over the rest of our spiritual battles. If you find your identity in the Son, you'll find your authority in the Father. Tonight we're talking about authority. We're going to be in Matthew 4, verse 1. We pick up exactly where Pastor Tiffany left off last week, right after the baptism of Jesus, right after this beautiful moment that I hope, I hope you sink, you soak in that moment. The moment of approval from the Father that is not as con that's not contingent on who you are or what you've done. He communicates his love for the Son by the Holy Spirit. The dove descends, the voice is heard. And then Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. The same Spirit that communicates the love for the Father, Matthew 4, verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we're here for you. God, speak to us tonight. Let these truths settle in our hearts. Father, move me out of the way that you might speak clearly and simply to your people this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, how, how do you guys feel about tests? Anxious. <laughs> Praise God. Does anyone love tests? Did anyone like look for, be honest. I, there's some, okay, there's a couple people that enjoy tests. We'll do some, yeah, I, don't know, I don't know why, how, or what, but praise God for you. Happy for you. Um, I did well in school, but I never looked forward to a test. 
I got good grades and all of that. I never was excited about a test. Tests are intentionally difficult, intentionally stressful, and no matter how well you know the material, you feel like, do I really know it? I thought I knew it. I felt good about it. Now I'm looking at the question and you're doubting yourself and you're unsure what it is and and, then there's time limits and there's, it's just pressure, man. It's no fun. The thing that's weird though to me is no matter how well you prove you know the material in the class, through projects, class discussion, all of that, no matter how well you prove you know the material, you still have to take the test. It doesn't seem fair to me, man. I felt like I should have, I felt like I should have qualified out of tests at some point. That, that would have been convenient. I, had a, I have a friend who, uh, for his job, he's got to get recertified every few years. He's got to retake a test that shows that he's qualified to do the job. Now, day in and day out for years of his life, he's done this job at a high level. No one's had any issues with that. But every few years, he's got to take a test to recertify. Why? <laughs> that just seems cruel and unfair. <laughs> but what does a test do? A test proves you are who you say you are and you know what you say you know. The test tells the truth about who you are. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tested. Seems, seems cruel. That seems, seems like the, the spirit of God that was communicating love from the Father should not then walk him into the wilderness. But here's the first important thing to learn about as we're talking about spiritual battles. Just because the spirit of God led you there, that doesn't mean you don't belong there. The spirit of God is leading you. He's leading you there for a purpose. If you find yourself in the wilderness and in a situation that's, that's trying, that's testing, that's difficult, God has you there for a purpose. There must be some things we need to confront, some things we need to deal with, some things within us God is, God is trying to refine out of us. Now, we can be mad at God and we can blame God, and we can cry foul, or we can realize that the same spirit that led you there is the same spirit that is with you there, is the same spirit that won't leave you there. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. Why? It says to be, it says to be tempted. The Greek word here is perazo. Someone say perazo. Now, if you saw that, that's not how you would have pronounced it, was it? But that's, that's how you say it, perazo. Uh, some of your translations, if you were looking in your translation, some of your translations might say tested or most of them say tempted. This is often the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. I like for our discussion tonight, I think um, tested is a better word. Because when I think of being tempted, I think of only being tempted to do wrong and to sin. I don't ever really think about being tempted to do anything good, right? Like, I'm tempted to eat this salad instead of that donut. I'm tempted to be in the gym this morning. I just feel this urge. I don't ever use that language. And the things that, that Jesus is facing... Yes, because they would violate his conscience and violate what he has set out to do, would be qualified as sin. But I don't think the devil's main purpose in this is to get Jesus to sin. Just like I don't think the devil's main purpose in your life is just to try to get you to sin. You're good at that on your own. <laughs> he doesn't have to work too hard to get us to do that, right? 
So we kind of naturally go that way. Uh, so I don't think this is just to get Jesus to sin because I think the devil is after your and Christ's total and complete destruction. He hates you because you are made in the image of God and you are called a son or a daughter of God. And he hates that. God wants to redeem you, restore you, and bless you. And the devil hates that. He cannot stand that because that is not available to him. So I don't think he's just here to get Jesus to, to say a foul word or to, or, or to break his fast early, but he's after something much more significant. Tests are intended to tell the truth about who we are. And what had just happened was Jesus' identity was confirmed by the Father in front of a crowd. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is who this is. And the next thing that happens is the devil says, if you are the Son of God, he's testing his identity. Why does his identity need to be tested? Um, his identity needs to be tested because our identity is inherent to us, but it has to be established with others. So a couple quick examples. Uh, law enforcement. Why do they carry a badge and wear a uniform? So they can establish their identity with you. And you can see them and know this is a person who has passed the test and met the qualifications of somebody who was, who was able to uphold and enforce the law. Why do you carry a driver's license? You know you can drive. You know the rules of the road. You know how to operate a car. But the driver's license testifies that you are a person who's passed the test and are qualified to operate a vehicle. When we do ordinations here, one of the things Pastor Brett says that I really enjoy is he says this is a moment that gives an amen from heaven and earth. What we do when we ordain people is we're, we're laying hands on what we believe God says about them and it's affirmed by a crowd of believers and witnesses that also affirm that. Why do we need that? Our identity might be inherent within us. We might believe I'm a commissioned minister of the almighty God, but if nobody else sees that, that might be a problem. It's like the singers on American Idol that go, I'm a superstar. You ain't seen the last of me. I'm going to be bigger than any of this show ever is as they're sent home. It doesn't matter what they believe about themselves. It's got to be confirmed by others. Jesus could show up and go, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. You're going to have to prove that to me, brother. You're going to have to give me some evidence other than just that you're saying it. There needs to be an amen from heaven and earth. That amen on earth establishes the credibility and the trustworthiness that that person is who they say they are. Not just that they feel like they've got a word from God, but that there's something here that confirms that. But as much as it is for us looking at Jesus going, okay, we can now trust him. As much as it is that, I think it's also, you got to remember, Jesus was fully human. Don't you think he needed that identity confirmed in himself as well? This was not the last time he was going to be tested. Consider the agony of the garden or of the cross. Don't you need in your spirit as you enter into those moments something that you look back on that anchors you that says, no, I know exactly who and what I am and what my purpose is and I know that God is with me. He's not against me. Our identity it's tested. It's inherent to us. It needs to be established with others. The test in the wilderness is evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. 
And it's significant because he wasn't the first one to take this test. This whole story, the way Matthew writes this, uh, it's all intended to call back to Moses in the wilderness. Consider the parallels very quickly. Moses was chosen by God. Jesus was the chosen son of God. Moses was delivered out of Egypt. If you remember uh, Joseph and Mary, they escaped to Egypt. Jesus was delivered out of Egypt. When he's delivered out of Egypt, Moses passes through the waters of the Red Sea. Moments ago, Jesus passes through the waters of baptism. Right after he passes through the waters of the Red Sea, he's led into the wilderness for 40 years. Right after Jesus passes through the baptism waters, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days. This is intentional. This is communicating something to us and to the readers at this time and to the Jewish community that are trying to figure out, is Jesus who he says he is? Moses, Israel, David, Adam, Elijah, they all failed this test. Moses never got into the promised land. We know David's sin. We know Adam's sin. We know the failings of these other men and women in the Bible. Could there be one who passes the test? What if there was? What if there was just one who could serve as the one true human, as a representative for all humanity, the one who could go before and be one with God and make peace between heaven and earth? What if there was just one human who could pass the test? So the stakes are set. Jesus in the wilderness with the voice of a tester, of a tempter. I'm trying not only to get him to sin, but to really question, are you who you say that you are? Is God really with you? Are you the son of God? Can you pass this test? I want to look at three specific tests that we see here. These are three tests that we face. The questions that they ask and how we can answer them in authority that God has given us. The first is the test of your circumstance. The key question here is, do I have authority over my circumstances? Do I have authority over what happens to me? What is the circumstance Jesus finds himself in? He was in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days, and he was, he was hungry. He was hungry. And the tester comes, and the tester says, if you really are the son of God, if you are the beloved of God, if you are the chosen one of God, what are you doing out here starving in the wilderness? If God really loves you, fix your situation. Resolve this issue that's in front of you. Make something new happen. Because surely God would not be with you if you are in a difficult moment. We ever felt this kind of test in our lives when things get hard? If God loves me, things should go well for me. How can God be with me when things are bad? How many of us have prayed that prayer? And I'm saying, I have prayed that prayer Going, yo, it's hard, it's difficult, I don't like it. God, what do we say? Where are you? The Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit that led him there was with him there. It did not leave him there. Where are you? We're in the wilderness. It's the question, do I have authority to speak into and to fix my situation? And what this does for Jesus is it undermines his relationship and trust in the Father. It undermines his loyalty to the Father. Does the son believe that my circumstances do not define who God is to me? It's the question Jesus wrestles with. 
So what he's faced with. And do we believe that my circumstances, they don't define who God is to me? Jesus replies, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think that teaches us two things. I'll go quickly through them. I think the first thing it teaches us is this, is that we need a word from God. We need a word from God. To truly live our full life, we need some kind of word spoken over us by the creator about who we are, what we're here for, and what our purpose is in this life. My life has meaning, value, and purpose because of the words that God has spoken over me. The love and approval and the affirmation of the Father speak more loudly to me than my circumstances do. I have a word that God has spoken over my life and over me. I know who I am. And when I hear the word of God and contrast that with the circumstances before me, which voice is louder? And in the wilderness, the devil will amplify the voice of your circumstance. That's why we need a word from God that we can hold on to. This is why Jesus' identity was established first in the story. He had the word. This is, you are the beloved child of God. Do you think he doesn't see you suffering? Do you think he has forgotten about you? He is your good father. And he loves you. Certainly there's something else going on here. Can we remember and recite and testify to ourselves the word of God that was spoken over us? The second thing it teaches us is this. We need to stand on the story of God. We need a word from God and we need to stand on the story of God. Commonly, the big lesson out of this passage is memorize scripture and use it to defeat the devil, which is a great lesson. And honestly, as much as I enjoy this message, I'm prepared tonight. If you just take that, you'll be good to go. Um, but you can listen to the rest of the message. Uh, if you memorize scripture for the, the battles that you're facing in your life, the sin patterns, the issues, the whatevers, the things you're believing for, and if you just memorize scripture and apply it and pray it, and when the devil speaks lies, you hit him with truth, you will be better off and you'll have greater victory in the battles that you face. I have, I have no doubt. But Jesus recites this specific scripture for a specific reason. It comes from a specific story. And I think if you'll bear with me, I just want to read these three verses from Deuteronomy, where this verse comes from. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. It's in the first five books of the, of the Bible. Uh, it means the second giving of the law. It's the second time Moses gives the law. It's the story of, of Moses and the people of Israel. Uh, let me just read this and see what, this, what, this, what parallels you might hear in this from the story in the wilderness. This is Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. This is Moses speaking as he leads his people to the promised land. Verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes scripture that is applicable to the moment, 
but it's of the story that testifies of Israel being led through the wilderness, God testing them in the wilderness to prove what was in their heart. And as they hunger, God provides manna to remind them that it is not bread that sustains you, but my word that sustains you. That is more powerful than a proverb, man does not live by bread alone. Do you hear the difference? We stand on the story of God, on the whole story of God, of the faithfulness of God. We get way too upset with God when we find ourselves in a difficult situation or circumstance that we forget. Maybe he's using this to test our hearts, to humble ourselves before him, and to remind us that he alone is our provision. And that might actually just be the best thing for us. That might actually be something we can thank God for. When the devil tests you by citing your circumstances, you battle with scripture that tells the story of a faithful God throughout the generations. You can memorize scripture. But more than that, it's remembering the story of God that allows that scripture to take its whole effect in our lives. Here's our bottom line for point one. The devil will test your view of your situation He will test your view of your circumstances. And when he does, you have the authority to say to him, my circumstances do not define who God is to me. You have that authority to speak back to the devil. The second test is a test of your prosperity, the test of your well-being. The devil leads him up to a high point on the temple. I don't think he's physically led there. I think this is like a vision. He's seeing this. He's understanding this. He says again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself off. Surely the angels will bear you up. Uh, And Jesus says you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. This is the question. Do I have authority over my well-being? Do I have authority over my well-being? What does the tester say? If you really are the beloved of God, so again, challenging identity, challenging the word that was spoken over him. If you really are the, the, the beloved son of the father, then just throw yourself down because surely the angels will catch you. That's Psalm 91, Jesus. You know the Psalms. The, he will command his angels concerning you and they will bear you up and you won't have any problems because if you're loved by God, surely you will be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in all you do and God will rescue you from everything. We, um, we were in Jacksonville last week, a few of us for a Every Nation meeting, and um, we flew back on a Thursday. I traveled with Pastor Tellus, um, and uh, we came back on a Thursday, and our plane that was departing from Jacksonville had turbulence while it was still on the ground. Uh, how many know that's not good? I'm not, really, I'm not afraid to fly. But I know as we, as we shook on the ground and then we went up and we shook some more, I know we both were like, I'm not going to say I'm scared. You were, okay. And then we were shaking on the way up and then we were shaking in the air going, like, how old is this plane? And um, what is, what, um, just praying a little bit, you know, just whispering in tongues under our breath, God help this plane stay in the air. Uh, but then we joked because, you know, you don't know who else was on the flight. 
because not only was Pastor Telson and I on the flight, but three rows behind us, Pastor June, the pastor of our Korean uh, congregation, was on the flight, and five rows behind him was Pastor Eddie, pastor of our Sterling congregation on the flight, and 10 rows or 20 rows ahead of us were, uh, was, uh, was Pastor Jim Critcher on the flight and, uh, and, uh, and Bishop Brett Fuller on the flight. So as much as this thing was shaken, and as much as we said like this, we also said like, it's the safest plane in the country. <laughs> Ain't no way God is letting this thing go down today. <laughs> It's just not happening. You can shake all you want. The wings fall off. We're landing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, it might take us. It's not taking him. I know that. His work is not yet complete. Uh, so <laughs> is, we joke about it, right? Is that God loves us. He's going to protect us. <laughs> Nothing bad will happen to us. Uh, and it's funny, and yet we also kind of believe it sometimes a little bit too much. That God loves me so bad things can't happen to me. And when bad things happen to me, come on, man. You're supposed to give me good things. You're supposed to help me. You're supposed to fix my situation. Jesus' response when he quotes the scripture, again, he's, I, don't, I won't read that whole story. He's quoting from Deuteronomy again, a time where Israel is being rebuked for putting God to the test. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because to put God to the test puts him in my service. And Jesus is showing that's not how this relationship works. The son trusts the father. And the son doesn't make the father perform tricks for him. And the son doesn't ask the father to prove his love to him. The son trusts the father. And if the father decides it's going to cost my life, the father has the right to do that. My job is to trust him. So the devil says, throw yourself down. God will rescue you. You'll be fine. You're the son of God, aren't you? Jesus says, when I treat the father as my personal genie, I betray the relationship. That is not how this works. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil tests you about who is really in control of your life, who really calls the shots, you battle back by remembering that my relationship with the father is that of a son. So I don't demand things from the father. I receive what he gives me. The bottom line, the devil will test your sense of prosperity and your sense of well-being. And when he does, you have the authority to say, the son does not test the father, the son trusts the father. You have authority to speak that back to the voices that tell you, because you're not as blessed as you want to be, God is not for you, and he doesn't love you, and you've done something wrong, so God is condemning you. You say, that's not my job to test whether he loves me. It's to trust that he does. It's the second test. Third test, it's a test of your purpose. It's the question, do I have authority over my destiny and over my purpose? Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Your purpose, your God-given purpose is one of the most sacred things God has given you. The reason that you exist 
The plans and destiny he has written on the story of your life is one of the most precious gifts God has given to you. Don't you let nobody take that from you, especially the devil. God has good plans for you. He has a reason that you're here, things for you to do, experiences for you to have, people that need you. Don't you dare let somebody take that away from you. Jesus knew he was coming to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. It was the message he preached through all of his ministry. It's what he was purposed for. Our purpose is to bring glory to God in all that you do. In your career, whatever that career path looks like for you. In your family, whatever that family makeup looks like for you. In your relationships with friends, in your ministry, in your service. Your purpose is to give God glory in all that you do. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, and I think Jesus knew there was going to be a degree of suffering associated with that, that that wasn't going to be easy. The prophecy even of Isaiah, um, he will be despised, bruised, rejected. And so the tester offers to Jesus all the kingdoms and all of their glory without any of the suffering. All you got to do is take the easy way out. All you've got to do is lay down the one thing that means the most to you. I'll give you everything you've been promised in life. All you got to do is compromise your morals and your values. But you can have it. You can have it easy. And you can have it now. Have you heard that voice? You don't have to make a commitment to the relationship. You can have all of it now. Easy. No ring. No connection. You can get it easy. You can cut corners at your job. Nobody cares. Nobody looking. Everybody else does it. You can have what you deserve now for free. He's like a used car salesman. And yet it speaks to such core desires in our heart. We're gullible enough to believe that sometimes. The devil is trying to get Jesus to give up his purpose or at least to go about achieving it the wrong way. But the trouble with the tester is that he didn't really have that much to actually offer. Look carefully at his words again. If you got your Bible open still, what did he say? He said he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and whose glory? Their glory. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The glory of the kingdoms of man. The glory of earthly things. The glory of what is natural here. And when I say it doesn't even pale into comparison to the glory of God, what I mean is it's non-existent in comparison to the glory of God. The devil says, I'll give you the glory of these broken, fallen, abusive, systemically dysfunctional institutions for free. Jesus knows his purpose is bigger than that. There is no free lunch. The devil will offer a lesser version right now to try to distract you from the perfect version that God has for you. Do not abandon your purpose. Do not sell yourself short. Do not compromise your values and your morals for the easy way out. You can take a lesser version right now. You absolutely can. God has a perfect version for you. 
And the devil is just trying to get you off track. How will we fulfill the destiny that God has called us to? Will we follow his plan? Will we live at his standard? Or will we take the easy way out and betray our identity as sons and daughters of God and forfeit our purpose? Because when we abandon our identity, when we believe the lie of the devil, when we sell ourselves short to take the lesser version of of the thing that God has promised us, when we put our trust and our hope and our faith in ourselves, we're not just making an unwise decision. We're stealing glory from God. You're glorifying yourself in a created thing, and you're not glorifying God. Your purpose on the earth is to glorify God. This is why the tempter is trying to get Jesus, and he's trying to get us to pull glory from God, put it on ourselves in a place it cannot sustain. How many far too big celebrities, athletes, pastors, and uh, 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 spiritual leaders have fallen because they have received too much glory It has crushed them? They can no longer make decisions. They're too insulated. They think they're above the law. They think they can't get caught. They think nobody will ever see it. And they're, and they're destroyed because they weren't designed for it. Jesus hears the voice of the tester telling him to betray his purpose, to betray God, to take glory for himself. And when you hear a voice in your life telling you that same thing, I want you to know Jesus has no tolerance for that, and neither should you. When we're faced with a voice that says, take the easy way out, abandon God, you're not a son, he doesn't love you, He's not for you. He's not with you. Your circumstances evidence that. Take the glory God deserves for yourself. Live your life your way right now. What does Jesus respond with? You get out of here. He doesn't quote scripture. He says, be gone. He has no tolerance for voices that question the purpose and the identity of God on his life. You should have no tolerance for voices that question the identity and the purpose of God on your life either. When those voices creep in, when those voices begin to speak to you that you are less than, that you are unlovable, that you are unworthy, that God has no purpose for you, You don't listen to those voices. You speak to them. You get out of here. There's no place for you in this, in this house. There's no room for that voice in my life. You have the authority to speak that. That voice is utterly demonic. It questions God's plan for you, his purpose for you, his the identity that he's given to you. It's the same voice Jesus hears in Matthew 16. Peter has just rightly identified Christ as the son of God. Who do they say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Peter? You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. That's right. Now here's what's going to happen, Peter. I got to go back to Jerusalem, and I'm going to get in some trouble. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be abused. Pharisees, the elders, the scribes are going to have a really hard time with me. They're going to lock me up, and they're going to kill me. Peter says, Far be it from me, Lord, this will never happen to you. That is not your purpose. That's not what's going to happen to you. And what does Jesus respond with? Get out of here, Satan. 
You voice questioning what God has told me? No, 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 no. Go. 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 The voice of the devil will cause you to question the purposes of God on your life. And when he does, you respond quickly and decisively. Be gone, Satan. James knows this. That's why James can say in James 4, 7, if you resist the devil, he will flee. Then the devil left him, and angels came and ministered to him. Does your authority in Christ come from? It comes from his identity. Not your identity, his identity. He is the son of God. He is the one who passed the test in the wilderness. He is the one true human who has done what nobody else could do. He's proven that he is other than us. We don't pass the test. He passed the test for us. This affirms his identity as who he said he is. And if we find ourselves in him, we are co-heirs with Christ which means we share in the authority and the purpose of God on this earth. And we can speak to the voices that challenge who we are, what we think we ought to be, what we're not. All that garbage, you guys. All the lies of the devil who speaks to you to try to pull you from God. We can speak clearly and decisively to it. This is the tool I want you to have in your arsenal as we walk into the next I think it's six weeks of the series. We're going to begin addressing specific battles that we all fight each day. And we're talking about anger, and we can give you some good things. What the Bible says, Corey's going to crush that word. I absolutely believe it. It's going to be very good. I think that's next week. But if your identity is in question, you cannot have the authority to win the battles. So it'll be a nice teaching. But it's all going to come back to this conversation that we had tonight and last week. Is God who he says he is? Are you who he says he is? Because if you are, and if he is, you have the authority of God in your life to speak to the devil. You get out of here. I don't listen to you. And when you resist the devil... He will flee. It's a promise of God on all of our lives. This test in the wilderness, it proves Jesus is what we are not. And I'm so grateful that it does. Because that means I don't have to be everything that I'm not. I just have to be in him. And when my circumstances cause my faith to be challenged, I look at the one who had perfect faith. It says my circumstances don't define who God is to me. And when I feel like I'm not blessed enough in my life, because a series of very unfortunate things have happened to me and it's just been very hard for a long time. And, and God, are you there? I look to the one who says, it's not my job to test God. It's my job to trust him. And when the voices speak to me and they say, you're not good enough, man. 
You're not capable enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. I don't have to be because I'm found in the one who is. That's good enough for me. I hope it's good enough for you. Let's just end there. Lord, we love you so much. Just so much. Your favor and your grace on our lives, your nearness to us. That you walk this earth, that you've been through the things that we have been through, that you have faced the battles that we have faced. And you reign victorious. All glory and power and honor are due to your name. You are awesome, God. You are mighty, God. You are the victor. You are our champion. You are the righteous one and our savior. You are our living hope. And we love you, Lord. What a privilege it is to be on your side. To have you at our backs. Father, I just pray a fresh anointing of authority over this people and over this house. Settled and rooted and anchored in our identity, what you have called us to be, the word that you have spoken to us, Father. We remember that. We hold fast to that. We don't take it lightly. And I pray, God, from that would flow a degree of power, a degree of confidence, a degree of authority, a degree of favor, and a degree of blessing, a realization of purpose and of life, victory in the battles of every day, the sin battles, the mind battles, the emotional battles, the tensions of life and career, the physical health battles we face, God, may there be degrees of victory seen by the authority we have in Christ. Father, we submit ourselves to you. We take our name, we take your name as ours, as sons to the Father and co-heirs with Christ. Be glorified in this place, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. Church, love you much.